So Advent part two, week number two, we're talking about peace. Last week we talked about biblical hope and we compared that to worldly hope because everybody has hope, by the way. And what we said was biblical hope is not the same thing as worldly hope. Um, uh, Worldly hope is just kind of like wishful thinking, you remember? And so in, in the world, when we talk about the world having hope, it's like me saying, I hope it doesn't rain today or I hope the Cowboys win this afternoon. And it's just like this wishful, uh, shallow, like uh, empty, it's just wishful thinking. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not based on anything, um, especially the Cowboys one. I'm sorry, Matt, because it doesn't matter how the season's going. We know that they have a, they are the professionals when it comes to getting to the playoffs and then forgetting how football works. And so even that, it's like, it's just wishful hope like there's not much to it and then we said biblical hope is different that it's eager anticipation that it's like I am absolutely confident that this is going to happen the question is just when you know like there's very little um, unsure uh, there's very little uh, that we're not sure about it's just going to happen and so we even looked at Romans chapter 8 last week, and you remember we looked at those verses where it describes the world as, as, as groaning and the world is frustrated, and I even asked the question, I said, do you think it's fair to say that the world is frustrated? Yeah, and you want to know why? It's because the world puts its hope in everything that people say to put their hope in, and then when you get that thing, that thing doesn't satisfy and so what does that lead to? In our culture, when, when things don't turn out the way we thought, when we finally got the job we wanted, or if we finally got our spouse to stop or start doing this thing, or when we finally got the right amount of money or the right car, when we finally got this, I mean, you name it, when we finally get that thing and we find out it doesn't satisfy in our world, what we do is we look for someone to blame, and then we get frustrated and we're angry. And that's why, like... When Romans chapter 8 says the world is groaning and the world is frustrated, that's why no one in this room was like, what? I disagree. No, everyone's like, yeah, that describes the state of the world, right? And this week we're going to look at uh, peace. We're going to look at this idea of first thing we're going to compare godly peace with worldly peace. Same thing, because the world is going to offer you what it calls peace, but it's a false, empty Uh, peace. Man, the world is in need of peace too. The world is anxious. Gosh, people are just anxious and terrified. Uh, Matt, I actually have watched several of the World Cup games, and something Kinsey and I were noticing is when you watch these games, you notice how they always zoom in on some fans, and they find some of these people that some, I mean, I've seen men, I've seen grown men crying at a soccer game because their team lost. You know, I've seen families where you can't like, you know what I mean? Where they're, it's coming down to the penalty shot and and they'll zoom in and they find these people that they look so anxious. They look so afraid and it's like they have no peace because all their hope is resting on, can Harry Kane make this penalty shot? Which he missed the second one bad. And I could have, I could miss, I could have missed like he missed. Like, and that's why they lost to France. I don't know if you watched that game. I was like, bro, you had two penalties and you can't even hit the frame. Like, 
It was completely off target. you got to make the goalie make a save. Why aren't you all writing this down? This is good stuff right here. Yeah, you have to make the, and he, he missed by like two feet over the bar. And I'm like, Harry, like I could have done that, man. But it, point being is when you watch this, like you see people that they're so anxious and it's just like, man, the world needs peace. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Paul says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Do you notice he puts those two right next to each other? Unholy and ungrateful. Surely those, like one of those is an acceptable sin, right? And Paul says, I'm going to put them right next to each other. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. The, hey, do you, do you think Paul's describing the world today? Do you think we're in the last days? Verse 6, he says, they're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed Women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So Paul is painting a pretty dark picture, isn't he? Uh, He's painting a picture of the world that is in need of peace. A world that is in chaos. It's broken. It's fractured. And by the way, the world is behaving um, really kind of how it's how it's how Jesus said it was you know and so you see a lot there's a lot going on on earth it's just a mess and I want to be sensitive but I also want to speak the truth here is that when you watch everything that's going on in the world and if if you came up to me and said oh my gosh Russell can you believe they're doing this now. Can you believe this is acceptable? Can you believe that people are behaving this way? Do you want to know my answer? My answer is yes, I can. And you want to know why? It's because that's exactly how Jesus says it's going to happen, right? And so I referenced this uh, passage of scripture a couple months ago, and I want to remind you, church, and I hope this encourages you, is guys, it's going to get worse. I want to be very clear. The Bible says it's going to get worse. That's what Paul says. He says there will be terrible times in these last days. Can we take hope and peace in that? That by the way, everything's going according to plan, right? That, that we're going through some difficult times so that something greater will happen later on. 
Can we take any peace in that? Can we trust the process? Y'all know that phrase, right? Can we trust the process that, that, that God Himself, this, uh, this surgeon, this, this perfect surgeon, He has to go in and part of the healing process is He has to take a scalpel and make some cuts. Some painful cuts. Can we trust that process? Is it going exactly how he said it was going to go? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so it begs the question, where do you put your hope and where do you put your peace? That's what we're talking about today is peace. If your hope is in the world, you will be without peace. You will. If your hope is in the process, if your hope is in the surgeon, if your hope is in the Lord, then you can find peace in the difficulty. And man, I'm telling you, the, the world is getting more and more divided. The world is getting more and more divided, especially in the church. You can see people that are losing their minds because of what's going on. And then you can see people that have peace. And remember, that's what peace is. People think that, uh, people think that joy being expressed would be happiness. That's not the case. When joy is expressed, it is peace. That's where you find peace. Peace is the expression of joy. Happiness is not the expression of joy in difficult circumstances, right? And so when things are difficult, and by the way, when things are going to get worse, that's where you can find where your hope and your joy really are, is when you find when you have peace, that's proof that you have your hope in the Lord and that you find your joy in Him. Keep going, verse 10. Paul says to Timothy, he says, you, however, so he's, de- he's described the outside world. He says it's going to be dark. And he says it's gonna, people are going to have a form of godliness. He says that people will never be able to acknowledge the truth. And then Paul says, you, however, know all about my teaching my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted look at verse 13 while evil men and imposters will look at this go from what bad to worse right and and we keep putting our hope in others we keep putting our hope in an economy our hope in a government we keep putting our hope in the promises of others and do you want to know what god's truth just says those things will go from bad to what? Worse. Everything's going according to plan. Deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. And from how infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good 
work. Verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. So time out right there. What Paul just says is he says, we're standing in between when Jesus came the first time and when He's coming the second time. Did you see that? He says, in the presence of God, who will judge the living and the dead. That's a reference to His second return. And then he says, and in view of His appearing, That's when he's going to rip through the sky, the second advent. And his kingdom, I give you this charge. So he's saying right now, as we live in between, he says, this is what I'm telling you, preach the word. He says, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Verse 3, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Okay, so time out. Do you think we're there, by the way? Like, like we, we live in a world that, I can't remember who said it, we, we live in a world where in the pursuit of, uh, let me say this, in the pursuit of equality, we've lost our minds. Okay? In the pursuit of equality, we have lost our minds. Like we are equal in value. We all are. Every person in this room, no, no one is more valuable than the other. But let me say this. Our abilities are not equivalent. Okay? And in and, and the pursuit of equality, now what we have is, is people are equating my thoughts with my value. Okay? And so we, we live in a world now and start looking for it where this person's ignorance on a subject is just as valuable as this person's knowledge on a subject. Are y'all seeing this? I'm going to repeat that. In our world, we we live in a world where this person's opinion, where their uneducated ignorance, and by the way, when I say ignorant, I'm not saying they're stupid. That's not a slam against anyone. I am ignorant of lots of things, but we live in a world where where this person's uneducated ignorance and opinion on a subject are valued just as much as this expert's knowledge on it. Are y'all seeing this? Right? And the reason I think of that is because he says, we will come, uh, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. It's in the world and it's making its way into the church. Right? This is why you can stand up, a, a church can stand up and you can say, hey, this is what God says on this subject. Here, here's the reference. Here's the 2,000 years of church history. Here are uh, all of the saints from the past that agree with this. And one person can stand up and say, I disagree. And, and for some reason, this person's uneducated opinion now is being valued at the same level as the inspired Word of God. Man, do you want to think that the time has come where people will not put up with sound doctrine? Right? And before we sit there and shake our finger, let's make sure we're pointing it to ourselves as well, is that there are plenty of times where I hear the truth of God, yet in my immature, selfish part of me, I can still say, well, hold on, I know God's truth says that, however, but I feel this way. Well, I know, but everyone's doing it, Right? He says, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to 
hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And that's, I always say that you can find someone to tell you anything you want to hear, right? It's that picture that I see online that it's someone typing into Google and it's at the bottom it says Christians nowadays and they're typing in the search bar theology I already agree with and they're about to push enter, right? You can find any message you want. Verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. He concludes, he says, keep your head in all situations. Look at this. Endure hardship. Do you see that? Notice he doesn't say pray for the hardship to go away. He doesn't say avoid trouble. He, he, doesn't, he says when trouble comes your way, when difficulty comes your way, your job is to what? endure it. And this is why I want to constantly remind you, like I love that prayer from Nehemiah, that when, when life is difficult, how often we pray, God, make it easy. Make the difficulty go away. Make, make my bed softer. Make my pillow warmer. Like make it just too comfortable. And we need to be men and women that pray, God, strengthen my hands. Right? We need to stop and sorry, this is, is too forward. We need to stop praying for comfort because comfort is the slowest killer there is. You need to stop praying for God to make you comfortable. And we need to pray, God, strengthen my hands. Make me strong. Lord, make my shoulders stronger that I can, that I can uh, bear the weight of the responsibility of leading my family. Like, God, make, make my mind sharper so that I can choose to sit down and say, I'm going to read God's Word. Like, like make my discipline um, more uh, discerning, which I know I use the word discipline and discerning in the same sense that you're not supposed to, but God, make my discipline more discerning so that I can look at the garbage I'm watching on TV and say, you know what, this probably isn't glorifying to the Lord. Maybe we shouldn't have that in our household. Maybe I need to turn that off. You know, like strengthen my hands, God. Strengthen my resolve. Like st strengthen, strengthen my will. God, strengthen my faith right? And we need to stop, like, some, some of the church, and again, this may be mean, man, some people, you, you need to grow a backbone, to quote Joel Inge. He said that a, a couple of months ago, and it has rocked me. The church, some of us, we need to pray, God, give me a backbone, because I'm a coward, and, and, and I, I'm like a child. I'm so easily swayed, you know, that's how he describes, by the way, verse 6. He says, hey, there are these type of people who are loaded down with sins and they are swayed by all sorts of evil desires. Like, God, strengthen my resolve. Okay, so, real quick, go to Luke chapter 4. Why is this all necessary? Luke chapter 4. Because we're talking about peace today, aren't we, by the way? <laughs> right? Russell, aren't we talking about peace, right? Well, if you think that peace means the absence of conflict, you don't know what peace is. That, remember I said, uh, that's the world's peace. Like, and even in uh, John chapter 14, Jesus says, peace I live with you. And then he says, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Peace. And so the world's idea of peace is a false peace, which is simply just an absence of conflict. That's not peace, friends. 
If you were raised in a home that when difficulty arose, if the solution in your home was just to avoid it, just ignore it, just sweep it under the, under the rug, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? That is not peace. Uh-uh. The absence of conflict is false peace. And actually, did you know peace comes through war? Have you heard that phrase? If you want peace, do what? Prepare for war. Right? Have you all heard that? Okay. Well, now you have. Now I'll ask. Have you heard that? Now you can say yes. If you want peace, you know what you do? You prepare for war. Now, hold on. That's kind of a cool thing. They make a cool tattoo. They said it in one of the John Wick things, right? Okay, so it has to be. Is that actually biblical? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse um, 18. So we've already studied this a little bit. This is when Jesus is in Nazareth. Jesus goes into the synagogue. Jesus sits down as he always did, and the scroll is handed to him, the scroll of Isaiah, and he's going to read from Isaiah 61, which he's reading a messianic prophecy about what the Messiah is going to accomplish, okay? And so please, uh, let's look at this. Look at verse 14. He's quoting, oh, and go ahead, put your finger also in Isaiah 61. I want you to look at this back and forth, back and forth. Isaiah 61, verse 1, this is what Jesus is reading. So verse 18, I'm in Luke, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I'm going to look at Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he, the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, okay? It, there may be some slight differences because one was in Hebrew and one was Greek, and so it's a transliteration. Uh, back in Luke, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight for the blind. Look in Isaiah. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners. Uh, Luke, chapter, the rest of that. Uh, to release the oppressed. Verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 61. To release from darkness the prisoners. Verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Are you in Isaiah? Sorry, that was super confusing. Are you in Isaiah chapter 2? Do you see where Jesus stopped? I'm sorry, verse 2? Are you in Isaiah verse 2? Are you there? Do you see where Jesus stopped? Do you see it? Do you, are you looking in Luke 4? Look at Luke chapter 4. After Jesus says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, what does He do? He rolls up the scroll and He sat down. Did He finish that prophecy? Look where he stops. He reads, he released from prison, darkness the prisoners. Verse 2, Jesus reads to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then what does he do? He stops reading and he says, today this prophecy is being fulfilled in your hearing. Look what he does not read. He, he stops where it says, the day of what? Vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in what? Zion. Okay, so let's put the walls on here and then I'll put on the roof. Remember what Jesus knew was He was coming two times. There were two Advents. The first Advent 
was where he would come and uh, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then look in Isaiah chapter 61, where it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does anyone's Bible have a comma right there? Anyone's have a comma? It may, it may not. Now here's the thing, where it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, everything before that's talking about the first advent, where Jesus comes and dies on the cross. Then, in between that and where he says the day of vengeance of our God, that's the second advent. Do you see in that one sentence there's a gap? You can't see it. It's thousands of years called the church age. And Jesus, that's why he stops right there when he's reading this. Because he says, this is what I've come to do the first time. I've come to release the captives, to, set, to, to recover sight for the blind. And by the way, the day is coming where I will have vengeance, where I will, where I will release those who grieve in Zion, but it's not today. That day will come, but it's not today. And so here's, here's my point. Thank you for staying with me. I know I'm, I'm, giving, I'm going somewhere with this. Didn't Jesus say he came to bring peace? Doesn't Isaiah chapter 6 say wonderful counselor, prince of what? Peace? Hold on. Think about this. Didn't Jesus say blessed are the peacemakers? Right? When you read in, well, here, look there. Go to Luke chapter 12. So people had this false idea that Jesus was going to come and instantly make everything better. That Jesus was going to come and instantly remove all conflict. Get rid of the Roman army. Look at Luke uh, chapter 12. Look at verse 49. Look at verse 49 in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, I've come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. That's the cross. And how distressed I am until it is completed. Look at verse 51. Do not think I came to bring peace. Did you just read that? Am I seeing this right? Right? Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? And he says, no. I tell you, but what? Division. Are you seeing this? Right? He says, I did not come to bring peace on earth. And so this is where people get terrible theology is people think, Jesus, you said you were coming to bring peace and and to to get rid of all captivity and you came uh, to get rid of all um, discomfort. And and guys, what, what Jesus Christ Himself would look at them and say, you thought I meant now? You, you thought that I, I, was, I, meant, I was bringing peace now? Like, it's coming, but right now, I came to bring division. And when you read Matthew, he says, I came to turn a father against his son. I came to, to turn a mother against his daughter. Jesus says, I came to put a dividing line. You remember at the beginning 
of today, I said, do you see how the world is being divided more and more? Why is that? That's what Jesus came to bring. He, he came to say, we're not all the same. Like, it's, it's not just, okay, yeah, Jesus, any God you want, behave however you want, do this. He says, no, man, I came to bring division. I didn't come to bring peace. And so this is why you have to understand when we're talking about Advent, that yes, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, and we also have to look forward to the next coming of Jesus, but we have to remember that this age of peace will only be accomplished through a time of uh, uh, tribulation and conflict. Romans chapter 8. Frustration. Groaning. Father against son. Does this help the world make more sense for, for a believer in Jesus? It does for me. Because I look at what Paul says. I look at what Jesus says. I look at what Isaiah says. And I can see, hey, this, we're, remember guys, we're living in between. If you're expecting uh, peace on earth, goodwill towards men today, you will be so frustrated. And you will question God. And you'll shake your fist at the heavens saying, hey, the, are you in control or not? And the Lord's saying, this is exactly how it's supposed to go. Right? It's, it's like I said at the beginning, it's like when a surgeon, if, I mean, imagine you have a terrible pain like a terrible something and you go in and you this hurts so bad and you you have to look at the surgeon looks at you and he says hey this is what i'm well here i'll tell a story there was one day in dallas years ago i think it was 14 15 years ago i was driving to work and it was when i was teaching in dallas and as i was driving i thought man my i like my chest kind of hurts a little bit and i got to my car and i drove i was like oh, i guess it's okay and then i got out of my car and started going into my classroom and then as I was walking in, I was like, like my chest started hurting more and more and more. And I, I called my mom, who's a nurse, and my entire life, anytime I'd call my mom, she would always ask follow-up questions, always. Hey, mom, this hurts. And she'd say, well, does this hurt? Because she knows the symptoms. And my whole life, you know, I'd call her and say, hey, I hurt this way. And she'd say, well, does this hurt? And every time I'd say, well, no, that doesn't. And she'd say, well, it's probably just this. Take, drink lots of fluids, get some rest for and, and for the first time in my life, I called my mom and says, Mom, my chest is killing me. I, can't, I can barely breathe. And she says, does, does your arm hurt? Does your left arm hurt? And I said, yeah, it's killing me. And she says, go to the emergency room right now. And so I say, oh, okay. And so I go into the emergency room, and I, I can still remember walking into the emergency room, and I'm bent over the table, can barely breathe, and I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't breathe, like, and, and I'm like, I, I might be having a heart attack here, but it's gone on for like 30, 40 minutes at this point. And so they, if it's chest pain, they take you back immediately. And I'll never forget, the doctor comes in, amazing doctor. I'll never forget the doctor comes in. I am in so much pain, and he's sitting on the side of my bed, and he's done, he's done a couple things, and he says, hey, your lung has collapsed, your right lung has collapsed. And I said, okay, and I didn't even know what that meant. And, and I'll never forget, he says, what we're going to have to do is we have to cut a hole in your chest and we have to shove a tube up in there to relieve the pressure. And I'll never forget, I looked at him and I said, when do we need to do that? And he's, he's looking at me and he goes, right now. <laughs> and, I, and in that moment, guys, I had to trust the process and my only hope was in this man. You know what I mean? I had, had to say, brother, it, it's all you. 
I, I, there was no like, hey, let me go Google it real quick. Let me ask some friends. I mean, it was, I am in such dire need. And I just said, okay. And so they gave me the drugs and they tried to put me out. They couldn't put me out. Like he gave me so much. Afterwards, he says, we gave you enough to put down like a 300-pound man. But he said, I, and this is when they're cutting into my chest. And he says, I wouldn't go to sleep. And I vaguely remember it. And he said, I kept lifting my head up and looking. And he said that he would put his fingers right here and push my head back down. Like, stop. Like, <laughs> and that I remember I was singing math equations to the nurses. I do remember that vaguely. Uh, but point being, please don't miss. Do you hear how he said he was going to heal me? He's going to cut a hole in my chest. He's going to insert a tube. It was probably five-eighths inch diameter. He, and it, it goes in about 18 inches. It goes in, up, and up. Like, are you listening to this? The healing process came through. I'm about to puncture a hole in your body cavity, insert a foreign object in it, hook you up to a machine that will keep negative pressure on it, and you're going to be in the ICU for several days. That's the healing process. To this day, I still have that scar right there. I, I'm reminded of it every single time I take off my shirt. Are you listening to the healing process? It hurt. Like, and, and it was like, and, and mentally, oh man, just being hooked up to a machine. I mean, I had them here. I had the thing here. I had the thing here. It couldn't move, just lying in a bed. Couldn't do anything. It was awful. But do you want to know what? Here I am. I know. Peak physical performance. This is what it looks like, guys. This is what you're attaining for, right? No. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, honey. Yes. But guys, remember, we... When we talk about Advent, yes, Jesus Christ came as a child. Yes, now the righteousness of God has been imputed to us 100% completely. But please, and I hope this makes sense. I hope this helps you find peace in that right now what's happening on earth is God is cutting into our chest, shoving a tube up into us and hooking us up to a machine. Why is that? Because peace is coming, but it's not now. And so please guard your heart. That's what, uh, that's what Paul said in 2 Timothy. He said, keep your head. Do not go chasing after everybody else's source for hope because you will be frustrated. That's why the world is so frustrated. And if we're honest, which I know you guys are, we have all chased after those things. Have we not? Yeah, and how does that end? Oh. It doesn't work. And so we just, man, let's think about this. Let's thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ that you sent your only son. And thank you, God, that he's coming back again. And Lord, I want to trust the process. I want to put my hope and my focus on you. Like, like picture yourself sitting on the bed and God himself sitting on the edge of the bed. Are, are you going to look at him and say, okay, you're the only hope I got. Or are you going to do what we all do and say, hold on, let me go get some other opinions. I'll be back. Right? That's all I wanted to say. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today and thank you for your church. And God, thank you for peace. And when I say peace, I do not mean the absence of conflict. Instead, Lord, I, I, I mean that we have peace in conflict. 
And God, I pray that we would be people that we would simply just say yes to what you call us to do. And maybe that means that we need to have a difficult conversation with someone. Maybe it means that we no longer just avoid confrontation with our spouse or friends or children. Maybe it means that we actually lovingly go to them and say, hey, I feel like we need to talk about this. And then no matter what happens, even if it goes bad, we can still have peace in that because we can say, hey, Lord, I did what you called me to do. And so God, help us to focus on you this season. Help us to picture ourselves laying in that bed and you are sitting on the side of the bed and you are saying to us, hey, this, just trust me. Trust the process. Put your hope in me. Put your faith. And that, that when our eyes would wander, that you would, that, that, that you would kind of grab our face and say, hey, no, look at me. Just look at me. It's going to be okay. And God, help us to just remember that we, um, we have not yet arrived to perfect, flawless world. God, it's coming, but it's not now. And so help us to be people of peace and joy and hope and that we would prepare room for you in our hearts. So that's our prayer. Amen.